This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Today, we're coming full circle on the process that I've been referring to as living leadership legacy. And it's really the process that I think people need to go through in order to create an intentional succession strategy in your organization. And as I've been rolling it out in the month of March, it is a five-part process. So let me review those five parts. In the past, I've referred to the first part as leverage marketplace ministry. And I also talked about it as really essentially being lead yourself first. So going forward, I think it's simpler just to call it lead yourself first. So that's what we're going to call it from here on out. Part one, lead yourself first. Part two, liberate clarity. Part three, link priorities. Part four, lift culture. And part five, lead succession. So you'll notice when we come full circle, you start with leading you, leading yourself, and then you lead succession. And there are many components in between those two points. So here's what I want to share with you today. And as we summarize all five parts together, and that is, first of all, our God is a God of vision, forethought, and planning. He knew what he wanted to do from the beginning. That is what he wanted to do with the world. He created Adam and Eve. He put them in the garden. And he knew from the beginning that he was planning a home for us with him in heaven. This was not an afterthought. It was a thought right from the beginning. God also knew that we would fail in the garden. Through Adam and Eve, we as a species would fail. And from the beginning, he had already planned our redemption. He had already planned to bring the Messiah through the family of Abraham, through the people of Israel. This was already God's plan right from the beginning. So when you think about your role as an executive leader, you too want to lead with vision and forethought, anticipating what your people need now and also what they will need in the future. You want to have a well-orchestrated plan over time, a plan that leads to effective leadership succession, and a plan that does lead to effective leadership succession is intentional. And an intentional plan does have an interplay between you and also other people. It's not something that you do alone or by yourself, nor is it rigid. There is fluidity. There's flexibility even within the plan. So if I think about how God does that with us, even though he's planned his agenda, his outcomes from the beginning of the world, he allows us to participate in the work that he is doing we become partners with him in the process, even though 
and our lives, which are shorter than the whole of eternity, we figure into that picture from beginning to end. I also want to just say that legacy is created by the living, and it is for the living. And that's a very important point. In a lot of ways, people, when they think of the word legacy, they might think of something that's of the dead and dying. No, it is really the life that you are living today. And what you leave behind is the result of that living, and you're leaving it to those who are still living. So you live a legacy before you leave the legacy. And you can't leave what you don't live. And what you live has your own unique stamp on it. And this is that part one about leading yourself first, because your own unique stamp is your personality, your values, your spiritual gifts. You leading yourself first is about you being the best you, the unique you. You are an original, not a copy. Even if we think of two people who are twins, on the outside, they might look exactly the same. They may even share interest in common. I'm speaking specifically about identical twins. However, on the inside, they really are two completely different people. Each has his or her own spirit their own individual blueprint, if you will, that God has stamped into them. Similarly, you are God's masterpiece. You are God's workmanship. And he created you great in him. When you show up in the world with your unique gifts and your unique calling, and you live fully from that place, that's when you do your best work And that's when you live your best life. And ultimately, what you create is what I call creative advantage. It's not really competitive advantage because no one can compete for being the best you because you are the best you. And when you're not trying to copy other people and instead are living fully in your gifts and talents, then it becomes creative advantage that comes from you leading yourself first. So I invite you to stand in the power of your uniqueness. And as I said in my book, Lead Yourself First, you are the instrument of your leadership. The leadership that you offer to the workplace lands in that workplace coming through you. So the song that's played is played through you. And that's what I mean when I say you are the instrument of your leadership. So leading yourself first is about making sure that you're tuned up and that you're ready to play the best music that you can play. The motive behind intentionally creating a living leadership legacy is the motive of love. And if we think about John the third chapter, verse 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God's love was the type of love that was a sacrificial love. He sent 
himself. He sent his best to be an atonement for us, to really take our place, to take our punishment. God sent himself. He sent his best. That's a profound kind of love. And it's God's love that motivated him to create us, to sustain us, and ultimately to also save us. In Jesus' ministry, a lawyer came to him at one point, and this is recorded in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, starting in verse 35, and also recorded in other places of the Gospels. But he was asked by this lawyer, which commandment is the greatest commandment? Now, that's a very hard question to answer when there are so many commandments. And even if you think about the basic ones, the the Ten Commandments, if you will, you still got to figure out which one's the greatest out of those to answer this question. And of course, the book of the law in the first covenant contains whole bunches of commandments beyond just the Ten Commandments. So the way Jesus answered this question, he says, when asked what is the greatest, he says, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, that this is the greatest commandment. And of course, this comes from the first covenant, the book of Deuteronomy. This is the Shema of Israel. Everyone knows this who is a Jewish person, that loving God first, that's really our calling. That's what we're here to do. And then Jesus also said, and the second greatest commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, it's on these two commandments that all the law and all the prophets hang. So if you love God with everything, and then you love your neighbor as yourself, everything else that's in the commandments will be taken care of. So in the Ten Commandments, those first half of them almost, it's all about a vertical relationship with God. The second half is how we treat one another, human to human. So Jesus summed it up, love God in all these ways, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Everything emanates from that. So again, it's a position of love. So if I think about this in the sense of a foremost principle in the workplace, it's also to love God who sends you out and who equips you, and then to love the people that he's sending you to nurture and to bless. Marketplace ministry leadership is all about servant leadership. Jesus took on the role of washing his disciples' feet. And back in those days, you have to understand, people wore open sandals. They walked on dusty, dirty roads that weren't paved. There was mud. There was grime. And so when you went to someone's home, normally the lowest level servant in the house was the person who washed your feet so that you would be in a clean position to be in the house. On this particular day, when Jesus was with his disciples, there was no servant that was assigned to wash the feet. He put a towel around him. He got the basin of water. And he's the one who washed their feet. And Peter was kind of shocked by this and outrage. Oh, no, you know, you can't wash my feet. You know, I should be washing your feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, then you're not any part of me. And so Peter said, well, don't just wash my feet. You can wash my whole body. He says, well, your whole body doesn't need to be clean. The rest of you is already clean. It's just your feet. 
your feet walking out on the dusty, dirty roads of life, if you will. And then he went on to tell them in Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28, how that those who are great in the world, they exercise great authority over people, particularly in the Gentile nations, the Gentile rulers, they rule over the people, they lord it over them, is the word that he used. But he said to his disciples, it shall not be that way among you because they were fussing at the time over who was going to be the greatest, who was going to sit on Jesus' right hand, who was going to sit on his left hand in his kingdom. So he told them, he said, whoever desires to be great, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first, let him be your slave. And then he says, the son of man, referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You, as an executive in your company, you may be as the CEO or some other executive in the company, yet, even though you're in this high and lofty position, you are called to serve the organization and the people of the organization with your gifts. You are there. You are here for such a time as this. I'm remembering back to a client that I had in the past who had come to an organization and a significant position of leadership. And one of the gifts that he had was the gift of vision. He was able to look down the line and to see what was going to be important in the future. He was a futuristic person who thought about the future. His leadership position and role was in an organization that was very short-term focused. They could see what they needed to do today. They didn't have a long line of sight on tomorrow. And so my client was important because he was fulfilling a role. He was fulfilling a position. He was fulfilling a need that the company didn't yet have, which was long-term vision. And so when you assess your gifts, your talents, what God has given you, you'll see what is it that you're bringing to your organization that they most need and that they may not have without you being there. And so what's my role in this whole process? Well, when I come alongside my clients, I am there to really see the beauty in each person, to see the gifts in each person, and to call those talents and gifts out and to recognize the opportunities, even in what you might see as something that's a negative or something that's a downside. There is an opportunity in it, and God has already prepared you, already gifted you for how to walk through and leverage that opportunity. So that's what we mean by Lead yourself first is thinking with all of those lenses and then operating with all of those lenses. Secondly, when we talk about liberate clarity, we're talking about getting clear on God's direction for what he wants to do with and through you in your company. First Corinthians 6 and 20 reminds us It says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So therefore, our bodies and our spirits belong to God. 
And that price was the precious blood of Jesus, God's Messiah, dying on the cross. That's a big high price to pay for each person. And so we are now in the service of the one who's paid that price for us. And we've been redeemed so that we can fulfill and serve God's purposes. When I think about God, I think about him as the great king, if you will. And Jesus says that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I think of God as the commander, the commander in chief, if you will, of the armies that he's deployed here on the earth. As a person who was formerly in the army myself, as an army officer, I understand what it means to take orders from a commanding officer. I understand what it means to be using my gifts, talents, my training, my experience to fulfill a bigger purpose than just my own intents. I use the resources that have been given to me and the ones that I brought into the military, into the organization for the benefit of the mission. And so when we think about God's mission, it's very similar. We are bringing all that we are, all that we have, not just for our purposes. We're using all of those resources for God's purposes and for his calling. And we must remember that according to John 15th chapter, verses three through eight, and Jesus was reminding us, we can do nothing apart from him that is apart from the Messiah of God. We are the branches and he is the vine and we rest in him. And by being connected to the vine, that's where we have our source of power, our source of strength, wisdom, guidance, our sustenance. And if we abide in him and we abide in his word, then we can ask anything of God and those things will be done for us. God desires that we glorify him by bearing much fruit on the branches. That's us, the branches. We are the branches. What's important is that we ask whatever we're asking in accordance with his will and in accordance with his plan. We have to have the mindset that we want his will to be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. That's a line from the Lord's Prayer. And what we ask for is not for selfish gain, selfish purposes, because James 4, 3 warns and reminds us that sometimes we don't get what we ask for because we're asking amiss to spend it on our own pleasures. Ask for the benefit of other people. You are a channel of blessing. What God pours into you is to be poured out into others. It's designed to flow through you, not to go to you and be stopped up in you. So what God flows to us is also to flow through us to benefit other people. And sometimes to really get a sense of what God is doing and what he wants you to do It requires, as we've said before, a period of time of prayer and fasting and meditating on his word to see what is his plan, what is his purpose for you in the workplace. 
I remember working with a leader who was in India. He was Indian and his whole executive team, they were also Indian people, though they were a part of an American global company. What he noticed, this leader, was that because of the culture and the environment, people were very accustomed to just following orders and doing what the leader said to do. And he wanted to build an organization where everyone's ideas could be heard and everyone's ideas could be part of the going forward plan. Yet every time he asked his leaders to weigh in, there would be silence. And if he gave a direction or something for them to do, then that's what they attempted to do. But he was missing their voice. He was missing their innovation. He was missing their collaboration in the creative process. So in our working together, we created ways that were culturally relevant to build a different kind of relationship that he could have with the people in his organization that would give them the sense of freedom to speak up and to be co-creators in the process of leading the company. That's what he wanted to create, and that's what we had to build. I'm thinking about Peter in the Bible. This is in Acts, the 10th chapter, starting with verse 9, going through the 23rd verse. And Peter is on the rooftop of a house, and he's praying. And while he's praying, he has a vision. He gets a vision during his prayer time. And in this vision, he sees this big like blanket with all kinds of animals on it, four-footed beasts, and the kinds of animals, many of which would be considered unclean, that as a Jewish person, he certainly wouldn't eat. And then he hears a voice that says, slay and eat. And he says, no, I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm not going to eat anything unclean. And this vision, this blanket with all these animals that's lowered down and taken back up into heaven and slower down, taken back up, and the same voice saying the same thing, it happens three times. And finally, around about the third time, the voice in heaven tells him, don't call unclean that which I have sanctified. This was Peter's call to let him know that he had a message to deliver to some Gentile people who were coming to his house. And God had already spoken to these Gentile people. They were coming on behalf of the house of Cornelius. And Cornelius was a God-fearing man, and he had been praying to God. God heard him and said, I'm going to send someone to you to talk to you about what I want you to do, to give you my good news message more perfectly. Because at this point, Cornelius had not heard the gospel. He had not heard the good news. So he sent men from his household to the place that God told him to send. And simultaneously, God is giving Peter this vision. So at the end of the vision, God tells Peter, go downstairs. Some men have arrived and they're going to ask you to go with them and go with them because I have sent them. Now, I mentioned this story because this was not or would not have been in Peter's plan to go with any detachment of a Gentile home and therefore defile himself. And yet God's purpose and plan included these people. So when you're at work, there will be times when God will have a purpose and a direction for you that you wouldn't have thought of for yourself. 
it might not have been top of mind or the first thing that you would have put in place. And yet God gives you that vision as you are on your rooftop in prayer to him. So that's what we mean by God's direction and getting clear about that. Once you get clarity on the direction, we get to part three, which is about linking priorities. And I want you to know that God is the one who led Moses and the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years. And he led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And it was the Holy Spirit of God, as we said before, that led Paul on all of his missionary journeys, opening and closing doors along the way. And as we go about our life, we will discover that there are divine priorities, divine interruptions that lead to what I call divine appointments. And you have to be willing to be interrupted, to change the priorities that you had in mind and that you thought were the way to go. Even with the calling that God has given you, you're clear on the calling. You know the purpose. You know what he's asking you to do. Sometimes even the priority midstream will be interrupted, will be changed, and he'll send you in a different direction or doing something first that you thought would come second or third. When Jesus was meeting the woman at the well in John, the fourth chapter, and really it's most of the chapter, verses 1 through 42, he and the disciples had been traveling on a long journey. They were tired. They were hungry. He was thirsty. And so the disciples went out to find food. He stayed at the well because he knew he had a divine appointment coming. He knew that this woman was going to come to the well and that he had to meet her that day. He was thirsty. And the scriptures say that he was weary and he was tired from his journey. He did not let that deter him from being there for this meeting with this woman. And as he met her and asked her for a drink of water and revealed himself to her as the Messiah of God that she and others had been looking for and waiting for, she goes back into the village, tells everybody about him and how that he told her all kinds of things about her life that she didn't tell him, that he already knew. And because of this divine appointment, this entire village of people came to know that the Messiah was on the earth. This was a Samaritan village. And many people came to believe in the Messiah of God as a result of that divine appointment, as a result of attending to that priority, even though Jesus was hungry, even though he was thirsty, even though he was tired. And we too want to be attentive to the divine appointments that come to us. I know that pre-pandemic, when I traveled a lot, 80% of the time, I had so many divine appointments that occurred on airplanes and in airports and related to travel. Sometimes it would be the person who was sitting next to me on the plane that God wanted me to speak to. Sometimes I met the person in the airport, in the waiting room, in the red carpet club, there'd be some connection. These divine appointments, sometimes it would be some word of encouragement to share with the person about a business issue. At other times, 
It would be a life issue, something going on in their life. One time I recall being there to encourage a man whose wife was dying of a terminal cancer. And he was distraught over that. Another time I recall a person who was confused about on what day of the week should we worship. And I had less than 30 minutes because the plane was in its final descent and landing to share with this person some perspectives that come from the Bible, particularly Romans 14 and 5. And at the time, I couldn't remember where this verse was. I remembered what it said about, you know, different people will esteem one day is better than another day or one is sacred or not sacred and, and so on. And in that period of time, God, through his Holy Spirit, led me to the right places. And I was able to share the verses with the lady. And as we touched down and were taxiing to the runway, we were able, the, the doorway, we were able to finish our conversation. So you don't know who God will send, and you don't know what the issue will be. The issue I'm saying is just be willing to be interrupted. Another story that comes to mind is a case where someone else, their day was interrupted and it was for my benefit. And I was their divine appointment. This was many years ago. My husband and I had just moved to Colorado Springs, and I had gone down to Peterson Air Force Base. I had three errands to run. I was going to the bank, to the gas station, and to the grocery store, which was called the commissary. So I go to the bank, transact my business there. Then I go to the gas station, put gas in my car. And at that time, they had sort of a policy when you pump gas in your car and you had to pay inside that you would then physically move your car forward so that whoever was behind you is not held up with you going inside to pay, but they can go ahead and pump gas in their car while you're inside. Well, half the time people really didn't move their car forward. So I moved my car forward, went inside to pay for my gas. So the man who was right behind me, he comes in to pay for his gas before I leave. He stops me and he thanks me for moving my car. And he said, you know, most people don't move their car. And he said, I really appreciate that you did that because I was able to get in there and put gas in my car. And I could tell he probably wanted to say something else, but he didn't. And he said, here's my card. And he gave me his card. And I'm thinking, he's probably an insurance salesman or something to that effect. So I get in the car, look at the card, and it says pastor on there. I said, oh, that's interesting. I never would have imagined that he was a pastor, but he's a pastor. I said, okay. So now I go to my third errand, which is the grocery store, the commissary. As I'm rounding the corner to get to the front door of the building, the same man is rounding the opposite corner of the building to get to the front door of the commissary. We end up at the front door of the grocery store at the same time. And it was kind of shocking. And we both started laughing. And he says, okay. The Holy Spirit, he said, told me to speak to you at the bank, and I didn't. Then when I saw you at the gas station, I did speak to you. However, he says, now that I'm seeing you again, there's more I'm supposed to say. And so he told me, you know, that he was a pastor of a particular church and invited me to come. And I told him, oh, yeah, we're new. We just moved here. He invited me to come to the church, and he says, you and your husband come and you know, stay for 30 days and see if you like it. And if you like it, great, then you can stay and be a part of us and so on. And right while I was talking to him, and this was quite unusual because my husband and I didn't almost ever show up at the same place at the same time unplanned, 
but he was driving down the street on his way to the base exchange, which was right next to the commissary. And I said, oh, there's my husband right there. And so I saw my husband going down the street and I waved to him and he goes down to the base exchange. Ultimately, we did visit that church. It was a small little church with counting all the children and everybody in it only had 30 people. And it's more than 30 years later, we are still at that church. And that pastor who I met has since moved on. There have been other pastors in between, and he's now retired in another state. And yet we are still at the church where God called us, all because this man allowed himself to be interrupted in his day for that divine appointment with me. So when I'm working with my clients, my role in figuring out these priorities and figuring out these directions and purposes, my role is to pray for them, my clients, and to pray with them for wisdom, for discernment, for guidance, for direction. And I'm reminded of a recent situation where one of my clients really had to make a very challenging and difficult selection decision. We had been looking for a while to fill a key position in the company. We interviewed a lot of people that weren't the right people. Then we got down to the end and we, we knew that we were looking at the top two people now. And it was unclear which one should be at the very top because they both were excellent. And we went into a season and a period of prayer, both together and separately, to see what God would say. We later learned that the candidate that we ultimately selected, that he also, with his people, they were praying. God moves and he works in all these ways. And he sends people to partner with you to make it all happen. The fourth part of the Living Leadership Legacy process is lift culture. The common themes that I see when I enter an organization, there are some scenarios that I see repetitively, repeatedly. In those organizations, you have silos, you have different people working in their own individual fiefdoms. They're not talking across the various different walls in the organization. Some are hoarding information, not sharing information, not working together. A lot of times they're cultures of blame, mistrust, fear-based cultures, cultures where people are not getting feedback, or if they are receiving feedback, it's mostly negative feedback about what they're not doing right, all the things that they're doing wrong, people are not being nurtured, they're not being developed. And what I find is that the leader, the person that I'm there to come alongside, is in a position where they are the initiator of change. So think about it this way, the same way that God is the initiator of change and transformation in our lives. When you are the executive leader in your organization, you have the opportunity to also be the catalyst for change in your company. And think about it this way. God chose Israel many years ago, many moons ago, long before they were a people, long before they became Israel, 
long before Abraham even had a child. And the scriptures tell us in Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter, that he chose them not because they were the biggest nation, not because they were the mightiest nation. They were none of those things. They were small when you think about all the people on the earth at the time. However, God is the one who chose to love them. He's the one who chose to love them, as he says in Jeremiah 31, 3, with an everlasting love. He's drawn them with that everlasting love and his unfailing kindness It was God's decision. So no matter what dysfunction, no matter what craziness may be going on in your organization, as the executive leader, you have an opportunity to exercise the kind of love that can transform that organization from that culture of blame to one that is nurturing and building people, the culture of fear to one that is a culture of trust. You have that opportunity. It takes persistence. It takes perseverance to exercise this kind of genuine love in the workplace. And as you are in that role, and as you are showing that love, as you are leading the charge. And a lot of times I find executives might sit back and say, well, my people, here's where they're failing, here's where there's a problem, and you're waiting for them to change. My job is to come alongside you and to support you as the leader who's going to love the people even when they're unlovable, who's going to love them first, and who's going to put the structures in place to build the new culture or to enhance the culture that you already have in place. That's hard work. It's challenging work. It can be frustrating. And as your partner in leadership transformation and in creating that living leadership legacy, that's what I do, is support you and come alongside you. A lot of times I'm able to see the strengths in the organization. I can see the celebration stories. I can see the success stories. And sometimes if you're real close to it, you overlook some of those successes, some of those reasons to celebrate, and you might not identify them quickly enough. And not only be there to help you identify them, but also to leverage them for continuing benefit. That's how we work together. And then number five, lead succession. We come full circle because you've led yourself, you've put some mechanisms in place in between, and now you're leading the succession process. You're planning your exit right from the beginning. This means that you're looking around and you're noticing you may not have all the right people that you need for today and into the future. So you might have to recruit and select some new talent. Some of the talent you have may not be the right people for your purpose and your mission. They may not have the right skills or they may not have the right attitude. They may not embrace the culture that you're building. And so some people will have to be replaced. They may need to go on to other opportunities. All of the people who you retain or you bring in will need to grow and develop so that they can contribute at the highest and best levels of their gifts 
and their abilities. So you're creating collaboration, you're creating partnerships, and you're getting your organization ready for the opportunities of today as well as the opportunities of tomorrow. The process that we go through, it goes in different orders. You may need to start at step three, step four, whatever. It's different for every organization. Building this sense of pride and ownership and belonging and creating a community of success and contribution, we start where you need to start. That's what's important so that you're focused on your customers and how best to serve them. And you're also focused on the employees, those in-house team members, because they're your internal customers. And how you treat them is how they're going to treat the external customers. People treat others as they have been treated. My role in all of this is to come alongside you as a thinking and transformation partner a prayer partner, a trusted advisor to bring you tools and resources that help you build the people and the organization that God is leading you to build. So my question to you is, do you want a place where you can get the kind of support that we're talking about? Do you want a place where you can talk about anything including those things that I call the undiscussable things, the place where you can be raggedy, you can let it all hang out. You can talk about topics of the day, like maybe it's diversity, equity, and inclusion, and you don't understand it. You don't even know if you believe in it. And there's no safe place to have that conversation. That's what I do. I create the safe place so you can be supported for the tough conversations to deepen your understanding about what's important for you and your organization today. It's a place where you can get advice and counsel for your next steps, to have a sounding board, to have a partner, you know, in your success, someone who calls out and identifies what to build on and encourage you to leverage your talents and your strengths to do big things, someone to help engage in a process that's customized just for you and your organization so that you have access whenever you need it. That's the beauty of it. Access anytime you need it. Emergencies are, they don't happen on a clock. They don't happen on a calendar. They can happen at any time. And you want somebody who's going to be there with you for you as you go through whatever those emergencies are that happen in your company. It may be coming alongside you to lift your arms up at times, to be the cheerleader, Or sometimes I might have to roll up my sleeves and get in there with you to do some work and get it done. So do you believe that you are a called marketplace ministry leader? Someone that God has given a platform for his purposes and his glory. Do you want to make a profound difference in your workplace? If you're answering yes and you see yourself as that person who wants to make a profound difference, you want to lead yourself first. You want to liberate clarity, God's purpose and direction in your life. You want to link priorities, be willing to be interrupted for the divine appointments. You want to lift the culture of your company and develop your people. You want to lead succession. And you think it might be fun, enjoyable, and valuable for us to do that together. 
I invite you to contact me so that we can work together on your living leadership legacy plan and process for your company. You can go to www.transleadership.com slash apply, or you can call 719-534-0949, extension one. And as we close today, I want to leave you with this thought. It's a thought about the kind of sacrifice you can be. We talked about servant leadership. We talked about serving, even though you may be in a greater role. We talked about the fact that Jesus came and made the ultimate sacrifice of dying on the cross. Here's what he calls us to do today. This is Romans 12, 1, and it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So we are called to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.